The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman. I'm not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. And that background has made the last three weeks all the more frustrating for me. I can count and I can do fractions and percentages. Hell, I can even manipulate a pivot table in Excel. So I know that 51% is greater than 47% of the popular vote. And I know that recounts change numbers only on the margins, if at all, and never by the thousands. I come from a strong background in functional management in and strategic consulting to the technology industry. While I have, as does Elon Musk, grave concerns about the appropriate use of artificial intelligence in our society, I am absolutely certain that a computer can add and subtract thousands of times faster than the fastest human. And that that same data set is going to have exactly the same result each and every time that count is processed. One of the reasons for that is that computers, unlike people who program them, do not get tired. Counting and recounting the same set of ballots will produce exactly the same result each and every time you do it. So you can recount the Georgia votes that were cast and tabulated, then recounted manually. You can now recount them by use of the, of the tabulator again, and you're going to end up with the same result. And if you do it a fourth or a fifth or a sixth time, it'll still be the same result because computers add and subtract faster than the human mind can blink. I also know that what the computer is going to count is in fact programmed by humans. Thus, a very important part of asserting an election is that the program be tested thoroughly by users. Users are people who did not program the computer. There are people like you and me who do things that are illogical and therefore that uh, can break code. And that's why we test. We test so that we are certain that the computer has the correct instruction set and is going to, in each and every case, follow that instruction set. And every voting jurisdiction does this testing. And it does it normally witnessed by representatives from every political party that is involved in that ballot, plus somebody who is independent. All that said, while I can register to vote online in California, 
And it is essential that those voter registration systems be safeguarded, inspected, tested, and secured. The actual voting machines and the, and the separate machines that tabulate the votes that have been counted, the results collected in each voting machine are secured against any intentional or accidental penetration from the internet. In other words, it ain't possible. Those voting machines are enclosed in separate, you know, in facilities and in computer rooms that are not attached to the internet. Thus, I was relieved over the last four years when Chris Krebs and his team at the Department of Homeland Security made certain that all the necessary precautions were taken and that at least one person with a security clearance was working in every election agency in the country so that should there be any attempt, foreign or domestic, to influence the tabulation of the votes, that there would be personnel in each and every center where ballots were being tabulated who could be informed of and mitigate that threat, okay? So nobody from the outside could touch a computer. Thus, as the Department of Homeland Security has attested, this was the safest election we have ever had. And that is something new and it's an important safeguard. The fact that we have people who have security clearances in every voting agency is something new and it is something that is an important safeguard against malicious interference in determining who is eligible to vote and who has voted, whether foreign or domestic. This was a free and fair election. The 2020 election, let me repeat it, was a free and fair election, as free and as fair as any we've ever conducted in the United States of America. In fact, maybe freer because of broader enfranchisement in states where there has been systematic uh, suppression of certain types of voters in the past. And still, that still exists. So we've heard a whole lot of nonsense about this subject, okay? About free and fair elections. We heard a whole lot of nonsense about free and fair elections before November the 3rd. President Trump's internal polls showed him losing the popular vote and potentially the electoral college vote by a significant margin. Those polls were taken in the weeks well before November 3rd. The pandemic, it was feared, might make voting dangerous. So many states adopted mitigation strategies to make voting less dangerous so that people wouldn't skip voting, okay? States took up in a big way this year, early voting to avoid long lines on election day. And that's going to be a permanent feature and something on a different day we should talk about because it impacts the outcome of elections. There was a very heavy emphasis by the states this year 
on vote by mail. That emphasis began as we saw COVID cases resulting from delayed primaries. And we also saw uh, confusion as a result of delayed primaries. And so beginning early this summer, there was a lot of emphasis placed by secretaries of state, by the state officials responsible for elections on vote by mail. That meant some states changed their election laws and some states did not. That's a state prerogative under the constitution. The expansion of vote by mail efforts, especially in states that tend to be blue, was targeted early by the Trump administration because they knew it held the portent to expand the electorate and Republicans struggle to win in high turnout elections. Republicans really are a perpetual minority party now. So the bigger the turnout, the bigger their struggle. We don't have to rehash. We've talked about it in the past. We've talked about efforts to abuse the postal system to try to reduce the number of mail-in ballots. The only thing we need to say at this point about that is that Postmaster DeJoy has a date <laughs> to meet federal judge Emmett Sullivan, who's not laughing about the fact that his order to sweep every post office twice on the day before, the day of, and the day after election day to make sure no mail-in ballots were left behind by, quote, air quotes, mistake, and those air quotes. Mm, Postmaster DeJoy is going to have his opportunity in front of the judge to explain himself under oath. Should be interesting. So failing to sabotage the postal system effectively to suppress the vote, the president tried with real success to scare his voters into defying the threat of COVID-19 to vote in person on election day. His strategy, and he announced it well before the election, was to lead in the count at the end of election night and then declare victory. And if he needed to, he would subsequently go to court to suppress the mail-in votes, thinking somehow there was a relationship between this 50 state election and what happened in Florida. And again, Someday we ought to talk about the difference, but that's not where we're going this evening. You know what? The president's strategy worked. It worked until it didn't work. There was a red mirage in many swing states on election night. Yes, Republicans went to the polls on election day but the states determine how the election will be conducted within their borders. And there are only six states in this country that conduct 100% mail-in voting. And they all start counting their ballots well before election day, so their results were coming in on election night. California and several other states where there's a hybrid of in-person voting and permanent vote by mail voters changed their laws this year to allow counting to begin as the ballots were returned before election day so that some of the preliminary data was available on election night. But you know what, in California, we're still counting. Some other states didn't 
didn't change their laws, but the one common denominator in all 50 states, however they processed their mail-in ballots, is that all ballots must be postmarked, postmarked by election day. Thus the role of the post office. Now, in some states, that also means they've got to be received by the election office on election on election night, or they won't be counted. That's Pennsylvania, okay? Or some states say three days after the election day, as long as they're postmarked by election day. And in almost every state, there are exceptions for military ballots because it takes longer for those to get returned as long as they were put into the mail before election day, okay? But many of the pivotal swing states, states including Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Michigan, by law, do not begin to count their mailed ballots until after election day. And that's a state election law, not a, nothing federal about it. Okay, and it results from the tradition that most people used to vote in person and there were fewer, you know, absentee ballots in those states. Most people in those states were voting. So this was a change, but it was a procedural change. It didn't change their state law. It just changed the volume of ballots that had to be counted. And because the Democratic strategy, unlike the Republican, you have to vote, you should vote in person, the Democratic strategy was to focus on voter safety, on vote by mail. And it was so successful that the number of mailed ballots were hundreds of times greater than in a normal election. And because voting is, by mail is safe and it's convenient, more people actually voted. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, I'm going to go vote on election day and then it rains or something else happens and they don't actually vote. Voting by mail is safe and convenient. You do it when it's convenient for you as long as it is postmarked or put in a drop box before election day, it's going to be counted. While it is a subject for another day, I think it's going to be a permanent change in the way in which we conduct our elections. And that's an important point because honest elections, fair elections, I'm going to focus on honest because when you suppress votes, that's not fair. Okay. Honest elections are a part of the DNA of this country. And when you have a lot of mail-in ballots, and you want to do it honestly and with integrity, that's gonna be a time-consuming human process at the front end, okay? Because you have to have trained election clerks who verify each and every signature on each and every ballot envelope and make sure that it is the same signature as on the voter registration card. Now, People who are doing that work, making that determination are observed by observers from both major campaigns and someone who is a registered independent voters to make sure that everything is done perfectly, okay? That each signature is verified, 
Each ballot is inspected as a legal ballot. Each ballot is then unfolded and straightened out because they can only go through the tabulator if they're flat, okay? And then the ballots are tabulated. And it all takes time. And it depends on how old your tabulation equipment is. So each step is validated by observers. I'm not going to say it's not possible to cheat on a onesie twosie basis voting as somebody did in in Nevada, their now recently deceased mother's ballot. But it's impossible in a system like that with all those verification steps, it's impossible to cheat in any significant way. It would just take too much time. But that didn't stop the Trump administration from making nearly 40 different claims of voter fraud in various state and federal courts, all aimed at a singular purpose. They wanted to get the courts collectively to toss out millions of votes that were cast sincerely and honestly by millions of American citizens here and abroad, here and in Afghanistan or Iraq or some other godforsaken island uh, in need of American military assistance or Somalia or all sorts of other places where those guys should never have to worry about their votes counting. Off went the Trump administration and their allies to court with various claims of voter fraud, not a single solitary one of which was confirmed or actually presented to a court because you can say a lot of things on television, but if you say it to a judge and it isn't true, you go to jail. So a lot of things that were said in the media when they actually got into court and they claimed that there were cases of fraud, all of a sudden there were different grounds and the word fraud never came up. But the intent was to get a court to, or many courts to toss out millions of votes sincerely and honestly cast by millions of American citizens, including our troops. Yep, including our troops. In Georgia, that was a specific effort to get military ballots invalidated. That's unconscionable. In addition, the Trump legal team focused their efforts in major cities that have large non-white populations. I find that remarkable in its audacity, in its obviousness. Almost 60 years after the federal civil rights legislation that was aimed at ending systematic suppression of the non-white vote. But what is more audacious and yes, more dangerous more dangerous moving forward is that the Trump administration and the vast majority of, de- of Republican senators were more than happy to cheat if that was the only way they could win this election. 
And they were and they are at this moment willing to cripple an incoming Democratic administration by claiming every day on various media, media channels for three full weeks, even up until this day when the transition certification actually took place, that President Trump won the election by air quotes a lot and air quotes. We're in the middle of a pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. We have serious challenges around the world. And yet the outgoing administration will do anything it can to cripple an incoming democratic administration. When did we start being we versus they and not us, the United States of America? Because even up until today, GOP senators, Senators who know, yes, they know, there is absolutely not a shred of doubt in their minds that what they are saying when they talk about election fraud or the potential the president could still win in court, et cetera, they know what they are saying is a lie. It is a lie of commission. Every single word in the Giuliani press conference last Thursday, which I gratefully saw only excerpts from, was as phony as his newly dyed hair. I'm gonna start with a few things that are obvious. Obvious if you spend five minutes trying to determine truth from fiction and try to work on unity in this nation where 13 million cases of a deadly pandemic now are circulating um, and more people have died of this disease than in all our wars combined since the Civil War, okay? This is not a time for disunity. So if you spent a few minutes trying to figure out truth from fiction, you would know. Dominion election software is used in only 28 of the 50 states. And in those states, it's not used in every election jurisdiction. I mean, Georgia made a state decision. In most areas, the election equipment is a, a local decision. And the truth is, as of November 24th, 2020, there are only 14 counties in highly contested Pennsylvania that use Dominion election software. Dominion election software in those 14 counties showed President Trump winning 52% of the in-person and, and mailed-in ballots totaling. So much for a global vote change Would such a thing, you know, be I got. Okay, let's face it. Pennsylvania, the city of Philadelphia does not, and, and its environments, its, its suburbs, does not use Dominion software. So the bulk of mailed-in ballots were not processed using Dominion software. So there's no way that Dominion software could have changed votes from Trump to Biden, okay? 
First, where it was used, Trump won. Second, not possible. But that fact didn't stop either of these lawyers or tons of Republican senators going on television and saying, well, they weren't sure. Telling all sorts of lies about Dominion election systems, about the owners, the origin, and the capabilities of the software. Heavenly days, they even suggested that the servers existed in Germany. The servers are not on the internet. They cannot be anywhere except exactly where the voting machines are. Yeah, I did the research. There's no way, not even a teeny tiny, itsy bitsy bitsy tiny infinitesimal way that Dominion software could be configured in a way to change a single solitary vote, let alone millions. That software configures the ballot. You know, the ballot's different in every town because you have local elections. It tabulates the voter's choice. It then prints out a copy of what those choices are so that the voter can verify his, his or her choices before they hit the final button. And then a separate system counts up all the bubbles that that individual marked on the ballot if they mailed it or pressed if they did it on a tab tablet at the voting center. Okay, doesn't matter. The level of if-else logic needed to do anything nefarious just doesn't exist in the system. Its purpose is just to count up the bubbles. It doesn't care. It's inanimate. So then let's move on to the more ludicrous, if more, shall we say, dangerous. And that's when newly reelected Senator Lindsey Graham calls the Secretary of State of Georgia, who is a Republican, who voted for Trump by his own admission, and suggested to that Secretary of State a way that he could discard a significant number of mail-in ballots, should he choose to do so. And you know what? That might change the final outcome of the election. Well. The Georgia Secretary of State went on television and outed the good senator. But that didn't deter our friend Lindsay. Uh-uh-uh-uh. He wasn't deterred by that you and cry of foul that followed his phone call in Georgia. His next call was to the governor of Arizona, making a similar suggestion. You see, couldn't call Arizona Secretary of State. She's a Democrat. So I don't know, you know, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a businesswoman, okay? I don't know if Senator Graham, who is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and is a lawyer, a, a, an Air Force JAG officer himself, I don't know if he actually committed a federal crime, but he came within a hair's whisper of doing so. And you know why? Because the GOP was willing to steal an election to defy the will of the people if only they could get away with it. The third federal district appeals court put a nail in the coffin of the pipe dream that Donald Trump could disqualify 
destroy or disregard enough genuine ballots to cheat his way to a second term, to cheat his way to a second term. But that's not the end of the story. No, that ascertainment that Joseph R. Biden will be the 46th president of the United States is not the end of the story, not by a long shot. Because Fox News and, and News One and Rush Limbaugh and lots of other conservative outlets, Newsmax, for example, have so poisoned the well that a majority of Republican voters believe the election was stolen from Donald Trump rather than believe the truth. I mean, within a few days of the election, 80% of polled voters said that they thought Biden had won the election. That was on that following Saturday. Polling done yesterday on November 23rd showed that only 4% of Republican voters believe that Biden won the election fair and square. And what caused that change? What we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes. The truth is that Donald J. Trump tried and failed to disqualify millions upon millions of votes, largely the votes of African-Americans in a very knowing and deliberate effort to cheat his way into remaining in the White House. Even more galling and frightening is that a majority of Republican senators went along with the effort to cheat lie and steal an election in the full knowledge that what they were doing was cheating, stealing, lying. And in the certainty that they put lives of local politicians and private citizens in jeopardy with their fraudulent claims. Yes, indeed, Dominion has had to close its office and send all its employees to work remotely because of the number of threats to blow up the building. And that's what worries me in the long run, in the medium run. Free and fair elections are now another constitutionally guaranteed norm that Donald Trump and his accomplices in his cabinet and Congress have now stretched to the breaking point. What worries me even more than that abrogation of what we've always thought of as the norms of democracy. What worries me even more is what could happen if the same efforts were undertaken by a team that was led by a truly ruthless and more politically sophisticated candidate who happened to be a smarter attorney and thus planned better and earlier to subvert the vote. Someone who is, like President Trump, committed to power over country. A Tom Cotton, for example. Have we now so torn the fabric of constitutionally guaranteed fair elections? Again, I'm not going to say free because there were efforts to subvert. 
is this the way we're going to conduct our elections in the future? Or will time, distance, and a few public corruption prosecutions bring more media personalities, politicians, and pundits to understand just how dangerous was the game that they've tried to play? I wonder how many of those who are afraid to speak truth to sycophancy understand that what comes after a successful attempt to thwart our constitutional presidential election is authoritarianism. And you know what happens in an authoritarian system? We don't need Congress or the Senate anymore. So perhaps those who've spent the last three weeks participating in this attempt to subvert our small d democratic republic might do well to look back to what happened to Robespierre's head at the end of the French Revolution. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>